0: for entertainment, education, and information purposes only, and the topics discussed should not be used solely to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any diseases or conditions. Furthermore, the views and statements expressed on this podcast are solely those of those, and should not be interpreted as reflect official policy or position of any entity, aside from possibly cash-like morons and affiliate outreach programs, if indeed there are any, in fact, there are none. Pretty much we are responsible if you screw up. You should always do your own homework and let us know when we're ready.
1: Welcome back to The Curbsiders. I'm Dr. Leah Witt, here with two amazing co-hosts, Dr. Shreya Trivedi and Dr. Paul Williams. Hey, guys. Hi, Leah. Hey,
0: Leah.
1: Hey. Okay, Paul. uh, It's your turn to tell us. What do we do on (laughs) The Curbsiders podcast?
0: I'm so glad this part is saved for me. Thank you. We are the internal medicine podcast, and we use expert interviews to bring you clinical pearls and practice-changing knowledge. Um, And then we also... Usually I say that we spend a lot of time upfront talking about word life integration, but that's actually kind of the entire episode, and maybe that's not even the right term for it, but you'll have to wait and see to find out.
1: Perfect. Thank you. You're the podcast veteran here, veteran of veterans, so I wanted to leave that for you. Um, Shreya, can you tell us what we are talking about in this podcast tonight?
2: Yep. So we're diving into work-life balance integration. Maybe there's another term for it, um, but this is challenging for all of us, both both men and women. So I think there's a lot to take away here. We talk. Uh, we focus mostly on on kind of family planning and how that works into medicine, and also some um, being a caregiver as well. It doesn't necessarily hit on all the points of work-life um, priorities that one might have, but those were the two big ones that we thought would be most helpful for listeners.
1: We're all trying to figure this thing out here together. We Tonight we have Dr. Susan Hingle. Uh, she's a professor in the Department of Internal Medicine and Vice Chair of Education and Faculty Development and Associate Internal Medicine Residency Program Director at Southern Illinois University. I almost ran out of breath with that sentence was so long. <laughs> Dr. Hangel is also immediate past chair of the Board of Regents of the American College of Physicians. She's served at the ACP in a multitude of ways. She was a member of the ACP Women's Task Force. Um, She's an expert in undergraduate and graduate medical education and has a particular focus on interpersonal and communication skills and the physician-patient relationship. And she has multiple areas of clinical expertise, including women's health, health promotion, and disease prevention. So let's get started. Let's do it. Hi, Sue. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, We're so excited to have you here. This is our second episode for our Women in Medicine series for the Curbsiders. So thank you for joining us.
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: You're one of my favorite people I follow on Twitter, so I'm super, super fan, a super fangirling right now, as I say. Um, but let's get to know you a little bit more with some rapid fire questions. So can you give us a one-liner to describe yourself?
3: All right. It's going to be a long one. Um, I'm a medical educator, an internal medicine doc. I'm the mom of two teenage boys, a diehard Cubs fan, married to a diehard Cardinals fan. Yikes. <laughs> former gymnast and spelling bee nerd, and I am often described as the eternal realistic optimist who is dedicated to making the world a kinder place.
1: Wow, that's beautiful. How did you become? There's a lot to unpack there, but I'm mostly <laughs> interested in the spelling bee nerd yeah, uh, because you. i i love I love spelling. I was a good, a very good speller in my youth. Um, so, how did you get into spelling?
3: I was um, just a one of those nerdy kids in elementary school and uh um was really good at spelling and got involved in the competitions and actually had qualified to go to the national spelling bee it wow. coincided with the state gymnastics meet and i actually opted to go to the state gymnastics meet instead of the national spelling bee much Voices. to the dismay of my principal who was a priest um who was very angry with me for choosing gymnastics over the spelling bee and what ended up happening at the state gymnastics meet was that I broke my leg, um, pounding oh on the balance beam. So, uh, I don't know if that was God or who it was, or if it was just <laughs> a
1: happenstance. <laughs> Cursed by too many talents. Wow. <laughs>
0: <sighs> yeah i was knocked out by the word chandelier in second grade and i never recovered so good for <laughs> you, you, you got way further than i did
3: one of my my younger son he does scholastic bowl and all of the kids are terrible spellers they do not know how to spell and they don't care that they don't know
2: how to spell oh, that was me i um i almost failed phonics in first grade. I told them I watched Doug funny. And then I told them that like my dog ate my homework. So I couldn't take the quiz. And then the teacher gave me a timeout and I just had come from India. I didn't know what a timeout was, but I thought like, Oh, I I won. I, I don't have to take the quiz. And, uh, and then, yeah, I'm still a bad speller.
1: So can you tell us your woman in medicine moment of awakening? We've been talking a lot about that with our guests and the curbsiders. Yeah, and I don't know if I really had a moment, but it was
3: sort of the coalescence of events. Um, It all began with being called a princess. I was called the princess of the ACP. And when I talked to people about doing something about that, correcting that behavior, I was told that I didn't want to be one of those women. Um, And so I didn't really do anything with it. But then sort of national um, events started happening that really raised the importance of gender equity, not only in medicine, but gender equity in general. And that happened to coincide with me becoming chair of the ACP's Board of Regents. And I really felt this sense of responsibility and this sense of opportunity that I had a, a national and international platform to be able to affect change. And I decided that I actually did want to be one of those women and um, am happy to now be one of those women. Amazing.
0: And so, what advice would you give to your younger self? So, for instance, uh, intern Dr. Hingle about being a woman in medicine.
3: Yeah, this I thought was a good one um, because my younger self was definitely not nearly as confident as I am now, I was faced with a lot of self doubt as an intern. And had a lot of challenges as a uh, female intern. And so I think the advice that I would give is that it's going to be hard. um, And it's not going to be hard because you're going to be working long hours. It's not going to be hard because of the the complex medical decisions that you're going to need to make. But because people are going to regularly underestimate you. And do not believe them. Believe in yourself. You're valuable. You're worthy, and you really have this incredible opportunity to help others and to affect change. That's
2: Thank awesome. you so much. That's great advice. And then let's move on to our our picks of the week. Um, Leah, would you like to start?
1: All right. So my pick of the week is Money Heist on Netflix. Uh, I am having a hard time fitting in time for media TV and movies in these first few months of my faculty job um, but I finally found something that's capturing my attention on Netflix. So this is a this is an originally a Spanish TV show for Netflix that's been dubbed over in English and it's just as it sounds it's about a bank robbery very complicated. but you would think I think my my preconceived notions were that the dubbing would be really cheesy. Somehow they have it perfectly lined up. The emotion is like the the voice actors are perfect. You really don't miss anything, I think. And it's easy to follow. I don't need anything very complicated when it comes to um, watching something on Netflix right now. So definitely recommend it.
2: Sue, do you have a pick of the week?
3: Yeah, my pick of the week is Bohemian Rhapsody. I just saw that with my yes. 16-year-old son and absolutely loved it. Um, my older son loves eighties music like I do. And this was really the first sort of grown-up movie that we saw together. And it was um a great experience on a personal level and it really was a great movie as well.
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna recommend a novel I revisit probably every two years just because it's family bible sized, but it's it's the novel Flicker by Theodore Rozak. It was published in nineteen ninety one and it's it's hard to get into it without giving anything away or going into the huge details it's it's a gigantic book but worth a read and it's basically supposes that movies are actually part of a vast conspiracy to end the human race um is sort of the, the short summary <laughs> i may have just given away the punchline but that's okay so um but yeah if you have a lot of free time or you want to read a book for two and a half years i'm going to recommend flicker uh by theodore rozak and it's especially if you if you love movies there's a lot of great actual history kind of thrown in there for fun
2: that sounds excellent Today, I don't know why, I've been thinking a lot about Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's a documentary I watched back in the day, but it's so inspiring to hear this 90-year-old talk about how he makes sushi and his like discipline to constantly improve himself. And then he, he says, the words that always last with me, that he feels ecstatic all day making sushi. And I was like, how can I find that? In medicine, in terms of, I definitely feel that with my patients. But you know, how can I create that career where I feel ecstatic all day? Is that even possible? That's that's been on my mind. So that's my pick of the week. He is like an exquisite perfectionist, right?
1: Every yes. little detail has to be perfect. Yes, was, yes,
2: yeah, yes, yes.
1: Inspirational. All
2: right, so so let's start with a case, Sue. Um, remember Dr. Blackwell from our last episode? Um, so. She's she's back um in residency, an internal medicine resident, and her career ambition is to find an academic position as a clinician educator in internal medicine primary care. But she's feeling kind of overwhelmed, trying to find time for wellness, spending time with her partner Alex, as well as her friends and her family. She's working about 60 to 80 hours a week, and so is Alex, who's also a resident. And then near the end of the residency, she's starting to think about having a family and wondering, you know, when would be a good time to have children. So uh, both her uh, and, Al- and Alex's parents live nearby, that could maybe help out with childcare. But unfortunately, her mother um, was just diagnosed with breast cancer, so she's wondering if she can plan potential caregiving in the future and like only look for nearby jobs. So all this is going on. What are your initial thoughts on Dr. Blackwell's case right now?
3: Oh, there's a lot to really unpack here. Um, it sounds like I often will. Um, When I'm counseling students, when they're looking for residencies, I tell them to look for places where they feel that they have a program director that's approachable because life will happen. And it sounds like in this scenario, life definitely happened. So, again, a lot to unpack here. My initial thoughts are that there are a lot of important discussions that need to happen, a lot of things that need to be explored. Wellness, realistic expectations priorities, short-term goals, long-term goals. Um, I think a lot of discussions need to happen before you can really give good advice.
1: So in our first Women in Medicine podcast, we interviewed Dr. Vinny Aurora, and the theme of that episode was about being bold. And I, what I took from this was that Oftentimes we find ourselves making compromises or decisions based on what might happen in the future. For example, if you don't have a partner, where would I find a partner? What what city would be best for that? I mean, I don't have children yet, but I should make this career decision for the future when I do. Um how would you advise Dr. Blackwell as she's weighing current day struggles and planning and also planning for her personal and professional oh. future?
3: Right. I think, again, um, a lot of this is getting her to really reflect on her priorities as well as what's realistic and living in the moment. So if she wants to take time off to help care for her mom, that's quite reasonable and acceptable. Um, I think we have these timelines in our mind that are fairly inflexible. There's nothing that really says that you have to complete residency in three years or you have to get married by the time you're 30 or you need to have a child <laughs> by the time you're 35. We create yes. these imaginary <laughs> timelines in our mind and mm-hmm. they really often will derail us from focusing on what our, our near-term priorities are. And that's something that she's going to really need to, to reflect on. And she's going to need to make decisions that are her decision. The other thing that we often do is we worry about um, what people are going to think about our decision. And Mm -hmm. as much as we can, we need to worry about how the decision impacts us, how it impacts our family, how it impacts our significant others. And everything else will get figured out. Um, It's not our job to, to worry about our residency colleagues and what they're going to say if we take time off to care for our ill parent or if we have a child. It's not our job to figure out who's going to provide coverage if you decide to take that time off. People are paid to do that. That's what residency program directors and residency program coordinators are for. That's their responsibility. And so you really need to, to really take that out of the picture, not try to please everyone, try to really assess the current priorities and live in the, the moment.
0: Gosh,
1: I love that advice. I think there's a big aspect to the medical personality that's a perfectionist, wants to be a good citizen, team player. You know, if you step back, someone else needs to step up um, in terms of coverage. So I think that's really valuable when you may feel guilty about your own career decisions impacting other people.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: I think also I just want to highlight like... The hidden tax of like all the like mental turmoil or guilt that sometimes women put ourselves through. For example, like this, this case actually really resonates with me in that I have a family member who I'm the primary caregiver for as well as family planning is coming up in terms of my husband and I's future and I am terrified of having a child and I th- like at least once a week a conscious stream of thoughts goes through my head that are so contradictory and conflicting which is like I'm going to be an awful mother because I'm ambitious I am um, and then my in-laws will be upset with me and then at the same time you know there's so many People I've talked about in leadership positions who've said, you know, they see the constant pattern that once a woman has a child, all her ambitions go out the door. And I don't want to be that woman. Um, And so, like, all these, like, and then at the same time, my my clock is ticking. So why am I even spending time worrying? And I'm going to end up resenting my family or my career. And it's just, it's like, it's endless. And I... I mean, and I, I mean, I participate in the Women in Medicine Twitter chats with you. I learn so much from you guys. And I, I know everyone says there's no right time. And every time is a right time. But I think um, the, the weight of the planning, the, the, um, the what-ifs get heavy.
3: Yeah. And again, I think um, trying to figure out how, what feels right now and what doesn't feel right and making decisions if something doesn't feel right being i think this is what vinnie aurora was talking about being bold and being brave and making changes when something isn't going right Mm -hmm. and again trying as best as you can to not worry about what others think i remember when um my husband and i were both working full-time we just had our first son um And we were spending all of our time cooking, cleaning, grocery shopping. We weren't spending time with him. We weren't spending time with each other. And we decided that we were going to get someone to help with the cleaning at home. And when we talked to our families about this, they were like, you would let someone else clean your house? And I was like, <laughs> I would die to have someone clean And they were like, oh, I would never because no one could do it as good as I could. And I remember thinking anyone could do this better than me. <laughs> and so we just sort of had to get over what our families thought because for right. us, the decision to have someone help us clean our house made us so much happier and we were able to play with our son outside and do things as a family and do things as a couple. And so I think that's something that you get comfortable with over time. If you let yourself focus on the things that are important to you and stop worrying about what others think about it.
2: Absolutely. And you um, spoke about your husband for, for a second, but can you speak about maybe the importance of um, partnership and kind of what to look for in partner, particularly as a woman in medicine?
3: Yeah. Again, I don't necessarily think that there's um, a lot of specific characteristics, but you really need to find someone who is going to support you, um, even in challenging times, because as a physician, uh, male or female physician, you're going to be working hard. You're going to be working a lot of hours. You're going to be making a lot of compromises. Um, I know people talk about having it all, and you can have that, but it's going to change over time and you'll have some things at a certain point in time. You're going to have other things at a different point of time and you're going to want someone who is proud of you um, and excited for you and happy for you when you have successes. And this is one thing that I feel so grateful for my husband. He truly supports me. And when good things happen to me, he is really happy for me and he's made a lot of compromises to allow me to be successful. Um, I wanted to share a kind of a funny story. Um, again, my husband's made a lot of compromises to allow me to be successful. And a couple of years ago, my older son was up on the computer and, uh, He yells out, Mom, Mom, come here quick. And I didn't know what had happened. And so I ran up there real quickly. And when I was up there, he said, I'm worried that you and dad are going to get divorced. And I said, Honey, we're fine. Why do you think we're going to get divorced? And he said, Well, I Googled you and I found all this stuff about you and you're famous. And I Googled (laughs) dad and he's nowhere to be found. Nobody even knows about dad. And that's because my husband is been able to and able and willing to make compromises so that I have been able to be successful in,
0: in my career. No, that's a lovely story. It's, It's a great story.
2: Yeah, I. I mean, I. That's also like kind of the the supportive partner. If I can go back in time and give myself one advice, at least I spent. I gave myself fourth year of medical school to find a partner, and I cannot tell you how many dating apps I was on, and how many how many men I like got so like like strung over. Oh, this guy is so funny, or this guy is so suave, or this guy is so handsome, and like thank God now that I'm with my husband, I've gone through residency, and as like a new fellow attending, I'm like, wow! It like it is I like want to scream on top of the roof like how important it is to, to find someone supportive, um, and, and especially if you're looking to have um, a long term career in medicine.
0: And actually, this might be a question for both um, for both Sue and Treya, because it sounds like you both have really supportive um, relationships. And I'm just wondering, you know, when you get to these crossroads, you're gonna have to negotiate sort of career and life management. What? what considerations are there and and what are the, you know, how openly can you discuss things and sort of what, what landmines do you have to avoid when you're entering into those negotiations and conversations?
3: Yeah, I think this is hard. Um, I think it's probably even more challenging for dual physician couples because so much has been invested in your education and your career. I think that uh, really openness and honesty is key Um, with my relationship with my husband. He had a job. He was a cost accountant, so he did budgets and things like that, and he did work that was important. Um, As I mentioned early on, we both were working full time. We realized that we were miserable. um, (laughs) So we decided that I was going to go to part time and I thought I could do it. And, I did not do well with part-time work. I um, didn't know how what part-time work meant. I had never yes. really worked part-time <laughs> yes. in my whole life. Mm-hmm. And so like many people, I was cramming full-time work into part-time hours and was even more miserable. Um, around this time, our older son was diagnosed with Asperger's and he needed to go to speech therapy and physical therapy and occupational therapy and all sorts of things. And it just wasn't manageable for, for us. And so he sort of fortuitously at that, around that time lost his job. His job had gotten outsourced to Fargo, North Dakota. So we had to make a choice about moving or staying put. Um, He knew that I liked my job and that I was successful at my job. And he liked his job okay, but he didn't have the passion for his work that I had. And so he very willingly decided that he would become a stay-at-home dad. Um, And that worked for us for for quite a long time. Um, Circumstances recently changed, and my older son is now going to school about two hours away from here. And so my husband and older son live in St. Louis for five days out of the week. They come home on the weekends. Um, I went from having the true luxury of having a stay-at-home husband to essentially now being a single parent of one child, and he's a single parent of another child, and then we regroup on the weekends. But had we not had open and honest communication and discussions about what our priorities are, we would have never really made important decisions and needed changes that we needed to do in order to have um, thriving children and a strong marriage.
2: That's awesome. Um, I, uh, in terms of our, our very few, few months of being married, um, I, before, before getting married, or even when we were dating, I would have um, very open and honest conversations where I said, are you okay um, doing most of the cooking in the household stuff if I am you know prepping for a talk or at a conference or prepping for a paper or something of that nature and um, and he was very okay with it and, and you know still does a lot of the um, household things uh, when things are busy on my end and so but I and I constantly still kind of check in and say are you still okay with this? But this is more so because I think um, unfortunately, I grew up in a very patriarchal, family. And all I saw was the women always in the kitchen, always catering to the men. And I, there is an inner sense of guilt that I have that I'm not always doing that. And, and kind of like and patterns and narratives I have to work through in my head from like what I've seen all growing up in my childhood. But I'm, I'm very thankful that now I have a husband who um, is, you know, is so supportive and, and kind of overthinks those gender norms. Overthinks? No. I, yeah. You know what I mean? And I think some of
3: it is also um, trying to change the way that you think about things. So rather than having that guilt, looking at it, and I think I have the luxury of being older and having more experience now that I'm able to see the positives of having a stay-at-home husband, my boys having a stay-at-home dad, my boys having a successful working mother. Because when you talk to my kids, particularly my older son, and then actually one of my younger son's friends, when you ask them what they want to be when they grow up, my older son will say a computer animator or a librarian or a stay-at-home dad. My son's (laughs) friend includes a stay-at-home dad in there. And initially, my husband's response is, oh, he's so lazy. <laughs> but I think it actually <laughs> demonstrates the importance of the relationship that he has mm-hmm. with his dad. And that's something that he wants to have in life. Mm-hmm. And when they, when people ask uh, my kids what I do for a living, they say, she's a doctor, she saves lives. But in their mind, women can be successful. And so I think we're really at a critical point, whereas more women take on jobs outside of the home and kids grow up in this type of environment, more fathers are willing to become stay-at-home dads. Those gender norms really are slowly becoming blurry and um, kids are growing up seeing all different ways. And so I think we are at a critical point where some of those gender norms may start to go away.
1: Sue, I'm so grateful that you're sharing your personal life stories because I i think that we often feel like in medicine it's almost taboo to talk about our personal lives and the real desire for a balance of real you know a really like rich family life and personal life uh, i read um, a survey of female physicians that was published in 2018 we'll have this in the show notes that showed 64 percent of women physicians report deferring important life decisions in pursuit of their medical career 86 percent report waiting to have children, 22% waiting uh, report waiting to get married. Um, we just had a podcast with Dr. Stacey Lindau from the University of Chicago, a uh, female sexual health problems podcast, and she said the best advice she'd ever gotten was there's no good time to have children. This kind of fits with what you just said, kind of Um, worry a little bit more about what your life goals are and less about how it affects other people or what other people think about what you're doing. I wonder how you advise your mentees when they ask you, when should I have children? How do I plan for it? When should I do it? Yeah, I think exactly what you just
3: said. I tell people that you'll know when it's the right time. Um, If you're questioning it, it's probably not the right time. A lot of things you can't, again, really plan for these things. When you have these arbitrary timelines, there's going to be something that happens that sort of takes you off that timeline. Like, I remember I was going to be married by the time I was 25. I was going to have my first kid by the time I was 30. I had a couple of bad relationships. And I'm so glad that I wasn't married at 25 and had kids at 30 because I would be divorced now and (laughs) not So I think you really have to um, work reflection into what you do on a regular basis. Um, You know, when people ask me about wellness, to me, the important things that I do for myself for wellness is really reflection. I do this on a, a daily basis, reflection and gratitude. And I think if you integrate that reflection into your life, You're going to figure out when is the right time to get married, when is the right time to have kids.
0: Even from a career standpoint, I I love that point so much, and I, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but sometimes we'll have a career night and invite a bunch of internists that we respect and seem really happy and fulfilled in their jobs, whether it's in public health or private practice or academic medicine. And to a person, none of them are where they expected to be when they started out. Like, they all took these multiple left-hand turns and end up someplace completely different, and to a person, they are all wildly fulfilled. So I think we can't help plan, but I also Mm -hmm. think those plans are sort of designed to go awry, and we should be willing to ride with that because it'll be probably okay.
3: Right, exactly. I'm currently participating in a program called ELAM, Executive Leadership in Academic Medicine, and it's to try to... um, Empower women with the skills that they need, the tools that they need, and the connections that they need to be successful in academic medicine. And one of the things that we're doing is we are doing what are called leadership interviews. And so I just recently interviewed the CEO of one of our hospitals, our dean, our CMO, our provost. And to a T, when I asked them how they've been successful, they basically say, I took advantage of opportunities when they came along. And like you said, none of them are aware that they thought that they would be. Our dean, he didn't have aspirations at becoming a dean. He thought he was going to be a rural private practice family practitioner. <laughs> and all these opportunities came up, and he said yes. And he's now the dean of the SIU School of Medicine. So I think you're exactly right. Uh, um, you can, can have goals. You can have plans but it's important to be open to these opportunities when they come along.
0: Focusing for a minute on other life responsibilities, like caring for a sick family member, or helping out the family business. Are there, are most residency programs built with the flexibility to account for these things?
3: That's a great question. I would say the short answer is no, but the long answer <laughs> yeah. is that life happens and residency programs do uh, learn how to to make accommodations. When I advise students looking for residency programs, one of the things that I advise them to do is to look for a program that has a good program director who they feel will work with them, a program that really uh, values resident well-being. Those do exist, and I think they can often figure out um, that by talking to the residents who are there and sort of what the culture is and is well-being A priority of the program and I think if you find a program that has well-being as a priority then you figure out all those other things when life happens when a parent gets sick when you have a child and you want to take time off to be with your child
2: all right all right so we're going to fast forward Dr. Blackwell's mom thankfully recovers from cancer and Dr. Blackwell's completed her residency. She got a faculty position as an assistant professor in primary care like she wanted. Her partner is now a faculty as a hospitalist and they have two young children. Dr. Blackwell is thinking about actually going part-time. You know, she's finding it challenging to balance childcare, home management, uh, and the full-time academic job. And then she's also struggling with feelings of guilt uh, around whether going part-time would mean that she's not committed enough to her career. Or if she doesn't go part-time, does it mean she's not as much of a dedicated mother? What are your thoughts on this, Sue?
3: Again, a lot to unpack here. Um, a lot of really common feelings that women in medicine have, and people in medicine in general have. I think we often are um, feeling like we're not dedicated enough to really whatever it is that we're doing. Um, so my initial feelings are that this is normal, that this is painful, um, that this is something important to talk about. Um I think one of the most important things that I learned when I was a chief resident um, was that uh, you're never going to make everyone happy. Um, (laughs) And that shouldn't be your goal. I remember this. um, I don't know. It wasn't an event, but I was working on the schedules. Uh, We had over a hundred residents at Georgetown and I was the one who mainly was working on the schedule. And we ended up that year, I don't remember the exact number, but we had six or seven or eight of our residents become pregnant. And every time you did that, (laughs) you had to revise the schedule. And you can't just revise the schedule of one person with a program of 100 plus people. It gets kind of crazy. And I remember my residency program director, who I'm still close with, coming into the office and grabbing me by the shoulders saying, Sue, you're never going to make everyone happy. Your job is to do your best at any given point in time and to be happy with that. And that was really a, this sounds dramatic, but a life-changing moment for me because really up till that point, my goal was to make everyone happy. And Mm -hmm. I actually thought that that was feasible, that that was doable. But by him telling me, he changed my goal. My goal now was to do my best in any given moment and to be happy with that.
1: Yeah, this is something I've been struggling with a lot. Um recently, um my own partner said to me, "You can't give everything 100%." You know, and that's really my goal. I realized on reflection, I'm trying to give 100% to friends, family, work. Um myself comes last, so what always comes last is exercise and, you know, reflection. And I think that's in the same line. You can't make everybody happy. um, You know, and trying your best doesn't mean being perfect to everyone. Um, I would love to talk a little bit about what, what it means to, to go part-time, and uh, what that looks like, how it affects your career. Uh, JAMA IM article from 2017 showed that women in dual physician households with young children work 11 fewer hours per week outside the home compared with women without children. And now that I'm in month four, I think, of uh, faculty a faculty position, I am realizing that full-time is not not the forty-hour uh, dream job, attending job that I maybe thought when I was a medical student—that's what we were, we were going to achieve. You know, a full time means much more than that. And I can think of cases in which people I know have scaled back to part time just so they can have a forty-hour work week. Um, I would love to hear from you how we redefine success so that success doesn't just mean. 50 hours, 60 hours, adding on committees and obligations to to be successful.
3: Right. I think um, kind of the typical uh, job in academics, and I think private practice, the hours are probably pretty similar. A full-time job is more likely to be 60 hours Um I think there's a misperception by students and residents that all of a sudden when you're done with your training, mm-hmm. you're going to have an eight to five job. And mm-hmm. that is not going to happen unless you go part time. Um, so I think that's an important reality that people need to to recognize as they really think about their future lives. As far as redefining success, again, that's something that... Um, really needs to be internal and individually defined. And again, this gets back to to kind of figuring out what your priorities are. Um, You had mentioned um, the drive for perfection. Another thing that happened to me that really was life-changing is I read a book called Just Enough by Mm -hmm. Laura Nash from the Harvard Business School, and she talked a lot in this book about how there is a finite human capacity and you cannot nobody can give a hundred percent to everything if you do you're going to end up really really unhappy you're going to burn out this is how so many people burn out this is why many physicians end up either retiring early or dying young it's because of this drive for perfection and so she gave a um image that has really stuck with me about a kaleidoscope Um, and since then i've often really thought about life as this kaleidoscope so when you're looking at a kaleidoscope there's all these moving pieces and when you look into the kaleidoscope you're not looking to find the perfect picture you're look you look at what happens and you think oh that's beautiful and then you turn it and those pieces mix again and you look and you say, oh, that's beautiful, too. Everyone is beautiful. And so I think, again, it's defining for yourself what a beautiful life looks like and not having someone else define that for you. And so I think that metaphor of the kaleidoscope is one that uh, really resonated to me.
0: While we're talking definitions, um, just in terms of how we actually discuss, you know, work-life balance, I feel like is a term that's almost fallen out of favor. There's a uh Uh, an editorial called The Fallacy of Chasing After Work-Life Balance that I'm semi-obsessed with. I'm not sure I agree with all of it, but it's written by Andreas Schwingschackle. Apologies for mispronouncing the name. (laughs) Um, But no, his point is is that work-life balance is is maybe not the best way to conceptualize it because that means that work is antithetical to life. So you have either work or life, and those are your choices and how do you make those two fit together. And it just seems conceptually like you're just running into a hard time since so much of our life is in fact work. So how? what's the best way to sort of discuss uh, work-life integration or work-life fit, or how do you talk about it when you talk about it?
3: Yeah, I tend not to use work-life balance because that means something is always going to be out of balance and that you're Mm going to be making compromises. And even work-life integration is an interesting term in my mind because that means that your work is integrating with your outside of work life. And that might happen, but that might not happen. And so I, I really view it as work-life fit. And to me, that's something that's going to be constantly changing. And I think because of the word fit, that implies that things are going to change over time. And so at any one point in time, family might be more important. And there's going to be a little bit of give on the professional side. And then as kids grow up or ill parents get better, you might then be able to to focus more on the professional side. And so it's always going to be moving. Um, And to me, that's kind of the exciting part of life is that it's always changing and um, it's never dull. And I think if you view it that way, it makes it much more appealing. It's not this objective to get to work-life balance. It's this how do things fit now and um, how are they going to change in the future? And I think a lot of times the the opportunities for change and knowing that it's going to be different creates a lot of excitement.
2: That's, that's really, that's really exciting. Can you maybe speak a little bit more about um, kind of how in your life or maybe in colleagues life, how they've kind of kept this work life fit as things move along, things change, plans change, um, maybe some stories of inspiration um, can be helpful. Your analogies have been great. I'm like <laughs> taking note of them right now. And I think they will serve me well, you know, trying to think about it as a kaleidoscope or just kind of an excitement and kind of, I think I make the mistake. And I'm sure a lot of my colleagues do too, where we're like, okay, if we work so hard, then we're going to eventually achieve work-life balance. Um, and and that's just a fallacy that I need to accept.
3: Right. Yeah. And it's always, I mean, there's going to be things that are hard in life. Um, You know, I mentioned that I'm now responsible for a lot more at home because my husband is working outside of the home and is gone a lot of the time. And so one of the things that sort of had to give because of time was exercise. And so now I know that uh, I'm not going to be able to To run half marathons or anything like that anymore. So I try to no gymnasts. Not anymore. (laughs) Although I'll have to share a story in a minute about that. Uh, um, So what I try to do, I got a standing desk, and I try to have walking meetings. And I had done that with the goal of sort of getting active and improving my health, but what I found is those walking meetings are so much more productive than sitting meetings. And so there, Mm -hmm. I think are sometimes unintended consequences of some of the decisions that we make. Um, So you asked about examples of people who had made changes and how that had worked out. And I got to thinking about one of my friends who went through a divorce. Um, She ended up, uh, um, she shared custody of her kids with her ex-husband, um, but she was really career focused, um, and had lost a lot of the support that she had had previously. And so she ended up hiring a nanny who has become her best friend, um, travels with her a lot. They go on family vacations together, And this nanny has done a lot of the the home care responsibilities and the child care responsibilities. And because of that, she has been successful in getting promoted and she's got national responsibilities. Um, She, instead of spending her time cooking and cleaning outside of work, she now has time to go to her kids' events. Um, So again, I think like I've mentioned several times, it's all about really giving thought to what your priorities are and figuring out how to to make those priorities a reality and figuring out uh, um, what is less important that someone else can do for you
2: exactly and i I think that touches on um kind of like the sheer volume of duties that sometimes women end up taking up both at home and in work. And there was this excellent New York Times article called being a doctor is hard and it's harder for women and kind of summarizes a lot of the research that shows that female doctors spend a lot more time with the housework, with parenting responsibilities. um, And then because of that work family conflict, feel more burnt out. And particularly among young academic physicians with children, women spend nine more hours per week on domestic activities than their male partners, they're much more likely to take off when their child's sick or school is closed and, and, or volunteering for, for, um, kind of office work and are in committees that are, that might not be that promotable. And so, um, I think you kind of mentioned, uh, some of the ways to, to kind of handle this, which is kind of outsourcing, um, any, anything else you kind of want to mention on this, um, uh, discrepancy in terms of uh, gender expectations and these um, other responsibilities?
3: Um, I think one thing is that we often are responsible for some of those gendered expectations, not all of them, but some of them.
1: And Self-imposed, I think, maybe, yeah,
3: yeah. We yeah, often system. feel like we have to fit into the current system. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have been really pleasantly surprised at is the flexibility of my colleagues. So I used to come in at 6.30 in the morning and now I need to get my son on the bus. And so if someone suggests that we have a 7 or 7.30 meeting, I tell them, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I need to get my son on the bus or I used to go to a lot of after-hours dinners, and now if my son has Scholastic Bowl or something else going on, and I decline one of those events, I've been incredibly surprised—not only at the acceptance of that, but at the flexibility. They're like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I did—I forgot that uh, you had these other responsibilities. Now we can we can move that dinner, we can move that meeting date." And before, I would have never thought to ask that. And now I found that by letting them know people are actually a lot more flexible and understanding than you actually would think.
2: This goes to show how much value you have, um, at your, at your work. Also, this is props to you and goes to show how hardworking and how appreciated you are.
3: Yeah. I mean, I agree, but I think that really, you could say that probably about just about everybody. That's one thing that as, in all of the different roles that I've had that uh, um, I think that everyone is valued. We just don't always do a good job of letting them know that.
1: I think this advice is translatable across demanding professions. I have a friend who's a lawyer who's had to take a lot of time for medical appointments and she used to check in with partners, tell them she needed to leave. Then she realized a lot of her male colleagues would just would be blocking out time on their calendar for the gym. For example, it didn't say gym. It just said busy and nobody cared. Nobody noticed. Mm -hmm. So she started doing the same thing and she realized that, you know, again, just as you said, it was self-imposed. She had this guilt and felt like everybody would miss her. And when she just started doing it, it turned out it wasn't that big of a deal. And she was putting all this extra pressure on herself.
3: Right. Yeah. I used to try to like sneak out. And if someone saw me leaving early, I'd be like, oh, I wonder what they think. And I remember (laughs) even telling my kids, oh my God, you know, I was trying to get to a basketball game or whatever. And I ran into my boss as I was leaving and so it became a running joke with the kids. They're like, did anyone see you sneak out early today? And then I learned <laughs> like you did, uh, nobody really cares. Actually, they're very happy that you have a fulfilling life outside of medicine because that makes you a much happier person in general. Mm-hmm. And when you're a happier person in the outside life, you're going to be happier in your work life.
1: Mm-hmm. I think this is probably a good place to end unless, Stray or Paul, you have other topics you want to hit. We can go into kind of our summary.
0: Not for me, no.
2: No, I think we're good. We can we can save the can you actually have it all at some, for some other <laughs> yeah.
0: episode. That would have felt very That's... odd coming for me, so I'm glad that we were referring. <laughs> no
2: <one coming> <laughs> yeah, that might be a little
1: too big to to that bite off now. Okay. So Sue, if you had to summarize a few key takeaway points um, about our work life fit episode, what would you what would you say?
3: I would say be true to yourself, stop worrying about what others think, take time to reflect. And when things aren't working, be bold and brave in making changes.
1: That's beautiful advice. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, this is great. Definitely my
3: pleasure. You guys are all awesome.
2: This has been another episode of The Curbsiders, bringing you a little knowledge food for your brain hole. Mm. Yes. You You can find show notes along with links to any articles, books, websites, or apps mentioned on the show at The Curbsiders backslash podcast. You can also sign up to receive our weekly mailing list with a PDF copy of our expertly done show notes at TheCurbsiders.com backslash knowledge food. We are committed to providing you with high-value, practice-changing knowledge, and to do that, we need your input. So subscribe, rate, review our show on iTunes, or send us an email at thecurbsiders at gmail.com. You can can recommend a future topic or tell us what you love or hate about the show. And finally, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at The Curbsiders.
1: Thanks to all our producers for this episode, Sarah Phoebe Roberts, Hannah Abrams, Nora Toronto, Molly Hubline, Beth Garbatelli, and to our whole Curbsiders team who helps keep the show running. Hannah R. Abrams runs our Twitter, Beth Garbs Garbatelli is on Instagram, and Chris the Chew Man Chew is on Facebook. Until next
2: time, I'm Dr. Shreya Trivedi. I've been Dr. Leah Witt.
0: And I remain Dr. Paul Nelson-Williams. And goodbye.
2: Bye. (laughs) Bye, Paul. I don't know why that cracks me up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either.
3: Talking about work-life integration, I had taken a walk with one of my sons um, and and was shocked that he wanted to go on a walk with me. And so we had this conversation that was really, uh, really interesting. He said, how was your day at work, mom? It was good. How was your day at school, honey? It was fine. Mom, when did Wonder Woman become your alter ego? Oh, wow. And uh, he had uh, apparently Googled me as well and had found... um, the, I think it was um, a story slam that I had done on when won- Wonder Woman had become my alter ego. And he had Googled me and had found that. So it was just kind of funny. It was sort of like the first time that, uh, or one of the first times that he realized what my life uh, outside of the home was like.
0: Yeah. Well, one of my medical students described me as, uh, what was the, it was the most hurtful thing anyone's ever said to me. It was a, oh, minor podcasting celebrity, I think was the first <laughs> <thing. laughs> Great, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) E-list. Yeah, right.